I get no kick from champagne. Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. So tell me why should it be true that I get a belt out of you? Some get a kick from cocaine. Hold it, hold it. What the hell is that shit? There is something inherently ironic, if not downright silly, about critiquing a comedy. Surely the best critique of comedy is laughter. Beyond that, asking comedians to explain their work, and well, it is like what Louis Armstrong said when he was faced with the question, what is jazz? If you have to ask, you won't understand the answer. So permit me to start again, but this time with a cliché. They don't make them like they used to. And isn't that the irony? We consider ourselves an evolving and sophisticated culture. More aware, more inclusive, more considerate and conscientious as the years roll by. But in these enlightened times, darkened considerably by trolls in the blogosphere, you might ask whether blazing saddles could ever be made today. Each generation creates its own issues, and each generation of comics finds ways to mock those issues. So comedy style changes, and so do the formats. Vaudeville, stand-up, TV, small clubs, theatres, stadiums, LPs, DVDs, the internet. And that brings me back to the blogosphere. Right now, but perhaps not for long, the internet is like the Wild West, where we are the sheriff and everyone else is an outlaw. So, no matter whether you're part of the frontier town, or the native tribe, or the Underground Railroad, you're likely to find something that offends you. Which means that Blazing Saddles will be condemned as politically incorrect, not woke, accused of racism, misogyny, fat-shaming, and all manner of historical anachronisms and cultural appropriations. Blacks, Jews, Native Americans, women, homosexuals, alcoholics, rustlers, cutthroats, murderers, Bounty hunters, desperados, mugs, pugs, thugs, nitwits, halfwits, dimwits, vipers, snipers, con men, Indian agents, Mexican bandits, muggers, buggerers, bushwhackers, hornswagglers, horse thieves, bull dykes, train robbers, bank robbers, ass kickers, shit kickers, and Methodists! <laughs> Could you repeat that, sir? Here's a small but perhaps crucial detail about blazing saddles. Adjusted to inflation, the movie made $542 million at the American box office. That is more money than Dances with Wolves, Django Unchained and The Revenant combined. So if it couldn't be made now, how did it earn all that money in 1974? If the 1960s was a decade of tumultuous change, the 70s was a decade of traumatic revelations. With America approaching its bicentenary, the country was in a reflective mood examining its roots, wondering how far it had come, and questioning whether it was meeting the ideals and goals laid down by the Founding Fathers. The women's suffrage movement may have begun in 1890 in New Jersey, but it wasn't until 1920 that the Supreme Court constituted the 19th Amendment, sanctioning that all women were allowed to vote. In 1865, the 13th Amendment may have abolished slavery, but the Jim Crow laws ensured that bigotry and prejudice held sway for over another hundred years. The 1960s saw the birth control pill become legal, and a decade later, 
Roe v. Wade allowed for abortions. And yet today, both of those liberties are under threat of being repealed. In 1965, the Immigration and Nationality Act catalyzed the cultural diversity of the country. And yet today, a presidential candidate is a loud advocate for erecting a wall along the southern borders. In 1971, affirmative action was signed into law. Again, that legislation is under review. But laws handed down in Washington are one thing. Hollywood perpetuating mythology is quite another. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. By the late 1960s, America's dream factory was in serious crisis. The studio system had all but collapsed. The Hayes Code had been replaced by the MPAA rating system, and with audiences disappearing from theatres, executives were willing to try anything to win them back. This allowed filmmakers to explore and experiment, and part of that experiment was revising the genres that had been the mainstay of the studios since the 1920s. Musicals, comedies, westerns, gangster pictures, melodramas. They were all ripe for reconsideration. So the long goodbye, the conversation and Chinatown subverted the detective genre. Bonnie and Clyde, The Godfather and Mean Streets completely rewrote the gangster picture. The Wild Bunch shot up the western and whatever had been left standing was torn down by McCabe and Mrs Miller. And as far as the musical was concerned, Cabaret more than laid to rest the claim that the genre was frivolous and could never tackle anything important. But that list is missing a crucial element. Within the genres just mentioned, you could also include Shaft for the detective, Foxy Brown for crime, Sparkle for the musical, and for the western, Skin Game. But while they subverted what had gone before, be it white cinema or blaxploitation, none of them dared mock what had gone before. Mel Brooks did, and in so doing, he exposed the rancid bigotry that is the cornerstone of much American mythology. Well, now, if that don't beat all, here we take the good time and trouble to slaughter every last Indian in the West, and for what? So they can appoint a sheriff that's blacker than any Indian. I am depressed. Excuse me, Mr. Taggart, sir, but I sure do hate to see you like this. What if me and the boys was to shoot that nigger dead? Would that pep you up some? That might help. Brooks had begun as a gag writer working on NBC's Your Show of Shows. The talent in that writer's room reads now as a list of legends of American comedy. Neil Simon would go on to create, amongst others, The Odd Couple and The Sunshine Boys. Larry Gelbert, M.A.S.H. and later Tootsie. Carl Reiner, The Dick Van Dyke Show and The Jerk. Woody Allen was in there too. As for Brooks, he and Reiner created the character of the 2,000-year-old man, an animated television sketch that they later released as an album that not only went on to sell over a million copies, it also earned them a Grammy. I think we'd all believe it more if you had some way to authenticate it. Do you have a birth certificate? We didn't have that then. You didn't have birth? No, we didn't have. 2,000 years ago, we didn't have, we didn't have nothing. We didn't have ballpoint pens. You didn't have... We weren't even up to ink, darling. Well, you didn't... You did. No, we had nothing. You were primitive right. in those days. We were primitive. We were atavistic. We were, what is the word I'm searching for? Dumb. We were very dumb, yes. Brooks then made a short animated film, The Critic, that won him an Academy Award. You can watch it on YouTube. The fellow that made this, he must be, must be over 30 if they let him do this kind of thing, right? 
Why does he waste his time with this? A fellow like that, he probably could drive a truck, do something constructive, make a shoe. Then he created the enormous TV show, Get Smart. When the moon is full, the tide is high. You must want the spy school. That's next door. <laughs> All of which gave Brooks the clout to make his first feature film, The Producers. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Deutschland is happy and gay. We're marching to a faster pace. Look out. That satire on bad taste earned him his second Oscar. And although his next picture, 12 Chairs, was a serious misstep, Warners were still prepared to back him to make Blazing Saddles. You've got to remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people of the land. The common clay of the New West. You know. Morons. <laughs> So again, could Blazing Saddles be made today? Unlikely, because with the assistance of algorithms and digital access to audiences' viewing habits, streaming services know precisely where the audience is. And I don't mean at home on the couch. So they don't need to take risks on unknown quantities. And when it came to Brooks making Blazing Saddles, the unknown quantity was vital. I said Brooks made Blazing Saddles, I didn't say create, because Brooks did not dream up the film on his own. Young screenwriter Andrew Bergman had developed a script called Tex X, which had been set to go into production in 1971. But the project fell through, so Bergman approached Brooks. Asked what it was about, Bergman pitched it as H. Rath Brown in the Old West. Now for those of us who do not know who H. Rath Brown is, and I quickly add myself to that number, Brown was, in the 1960s, chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. In 1967, after delivering a speech in Cambridge, Maryland, Brown was charged with inciting the riot that followed. Evading arrest, he was soon on the FBI's most wanted list and was captured after a shootout with the police when trying to rob a bar in New York. In 1971, Brown was sentenced to five years in Attica prison. So when Bergman walked in to give his pitch to Brooks, Brown was famous enough for Brooks to know who Bergman was talking about. After all, Hatrath Brown had famously declared, violence is as American as cherry pie. I know how we can run everybody out of Rock Ridge. How? We'll kill the firstborn male child in every household. Too Jewish. Intrigued by the pitch, Brooks went back to the start of his career and assembled a team of writers to fully exploit the comic potential of Bergman's idea. And into the mix, Brooks added Richard Pryor. At the time, Pryor was still a rising young comic, but his topic and tone were firmly in place. He was trashing boundaries of ethnicity, dismantling stereotypes, laughing at white culture, and white audiences were laughing along with him. In fact, Brooks wanted Pryor for the lead, but was vetoed by Warners, and so Pryor had to settle for being part of the writing team. From that, you would be forgiven for thinking that Pryor wrote all the jokes about ethnic bigotry, and Brooks's predominantly Jewish writing team wrote all the other gags. But that is neither the case, nor is it important. The team wrote together, and riffing on one another's ideas, the most outrageous and bone-cutting gags were dreamt up. Brooks's mantra was, write whatever you want, 
because we'll be never heard from again. We're going to be arrested for this movie. Which is another way of saying, if anything offends you, don't come to work. Uh, is it uh, true what they say about the way you people are gifted? Oh, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. But what made it work? One of the reasons why it worked is because at its heart, Blazing Saddles is a buddy-buddy movie. More than 10 years ahead of Lethal Weapon, it has a white guy, the Waco Kid, played by Gene Wilder, who is a washed-up drunk. Then there is the black guy, Sheriff Black Bart, played by Cleveland Little, whose self-esteem means he knows the lie of the land. And between them, there isn't a speech about equality or civil rights. It's just two guys who decide they're going to be friends. Are we awake? We are not sure. Are we black? Yes, we are. Then we're awake. But we're very puzzled. And the same went for the white audience. The movie was not going to portray all whites as KKK members. Instead, the movie gave the white audience someone they could root for, while simultaneously the Waco Kid gave them a shot at the Roman redemption. But again, there is no preaching going on here. Well, of course there is. Now, I don't have to tell you, good folks, what has been happening here in our beloved little town. Sheriff murdered, crops burned, stores looted, people stampeded, and cattle raped. Now, the time has come to act, and act fast. I'm leaving. One of the film's best jokes was one that was not intended, or at least not one the filmmakers could have anticipated. When the film was prepared for television broadcast, the network took offence to the farting and insisted instead of that sound you hear. Looking at it now, what you have is a group of cowboys inexplicably leaning back and forth, left and right, to the sound of. Which makes you wonder where a person's sensitivity must lie for them to be offended by farting but overlook bigotry in real life. Look, I could go on and on about how many taboos Brooks shattered and how many comedic conventions he deployed. Slapstick, visual gags, wordplay, Jewish references, scatology, vulgarity, celebrity parody, leering, historical anachronism and breaking the fourth wall. But really, what's the point? There I was complaining about people explaining the jokes. So it looks like the joke is on me. All right, we'll give some land to the niggers and the chinks. But we don't want the Irish. 